if we can get everybody in, again, I hope you've signed in. Uh, tonight's going to be session number seven. I do appreciate you hanging in there with me through seven sessions. Not everybody has hung in there with me through seven sessions, but you all have because you're here tonight. So uh, thank you for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray like I've prayed every night that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures. Because to know the Word is to know the Son, to know the Son is to know the Father, to know the Father is eternal life. So tonight we seek to know you through your Word. We seek to understand this message about false prophets, for you said there will be many in these last days. So Father, reveal your truth to us tonight through your Word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I have each night, I give credit to Dr. David Jeremiah. Thank you. Uh, I think I mentioned this uh, a long time ago. Um, the first time I covered some of this material a couple years ago, I mentioned his name, and then I do Twitter, and I noticed that uh, ever since then he's been following me on Twitter and uh, checking to see if I'm not doing his material right, maybe. I don't know. So thank you, Dr. David Jeremiah, for your book. The Revelation, this is going to be number seven. What, what have we done? What have we talked about? If you'll remember, when we started this, I said most people won't read the book of Revelation because they can't understand the main characters. But if I could show you the main characters and how they fit, you could read Revelation and understand it. So what are they? The first session was the church, and then we talked about the martyrs under the altar in heaven, and then we talked about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists sent out to, during the tribulation. Then we talked about the two witnesses, and then we talked about the dragon, who is Satan. Then we talked last week about the beast from the sea, the Antichrist, and tonight will be the beast that comes out of the earth. Revelation part 7, the beast from the earth, he is known as the false prophet. Tonight's character from the Revelation is much less talked about than any we have mentioned so far. In fact, if you were in the audience tonight and you could tell me much about the false prophet, I would be amazed because very few people have studied in depth enough to know much about this character tonight. Yes, it's another beast. But who is he and what will he do during the great tribulation that is coming? Here we go. Revelation 13, verse 11. John said, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon another beast but this one comes up out of the earth now if you didn't read real carefully you would notice that the first one came up out of the sea so this one is coming up he's a beast he has that title but he's not from the same location this beast has only one head last week we talked about the antichrist the beast that comes up out of the sea he had seven heads this beast has only two horns. The Antichrist has ten horns. 
This beast doesn't have any crowns, and the Antichrist has ten crowns. So they are remarkably different, aren't they? But this beast has something that makes him unique, his voice. He speaks with the voice of the dragon. Who's the dragon? Surely you haven't forgot yet. Who's the dragon? He's Satan. This beast that comes up out of the earth is commonly known as the false prophet. Like the earlier beast, the Antichrist, he is a man. Now let's start there. <clears throat> He's a man. He's like us, but a man filled with the evil power of darkness. A man, which I'm going to show you in a minute, who has a supernatural power enter into his body. Supernatural. A spirit of darkness. Has anyone noticed that there are three of them? I touched on it a little bit last week. The dragon, the beast from the sea, and the beast from the earth. It's not an accident or a coincidence that there's three of them. The dragon is Satan, and the beast from out of the sea is the Antichrist, a man filled with the power of Satan. But the second beast's power is different than the first beast power. The false prophet is different. His power is different than the Antichrist. Here we go. What is the difference? Verse 11 and 12. And then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of the dragon. He, who? The false prophet, the second beast, he exercised all the authority of the first beast. And he required all the earth, all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. This beast, the false prophet, speaks with the voice of the dragon, but notice something else. But he exercises the authority of the Antichrist, the first beast. Can anybody see the unholy trinity? Can you see it? In fact, I'm going to tell you, when you see it, it's absolutely mind-boggling. The dragon thinks he is God. He wants to be God. He is not a man. You with me? He's not a man. He is Satan. The dragon is not a man. He is a spirit. He is a demonic spirit. He is not a man in his origin the antichrist is a man filled with the spirit of satan and he tries to take the throne of god in jerusalem and what's the problem with that god has already assigned that throne to a different man his name's jesus and there is the battle of mankind the false prophet this third character the second beast, works under the authority of the Antichrist, like the Holy Spirit works today under the authority of Christ. You see the Trinity? The Holy Spirit, what today in the church age, works under the authority of Christ. The same thing that this beast works under the authority of the Antichrist. 
Satan is not a creator. So he must counterfeit. He must deceive. He, the dragon, is the head of the counterfeit and unholy trinity. But you got to know this. They cannot give life. They are counterfeits. They are imposters. They are deceivers. The beast that comes up out of the earth is called the false prophet. And it happens three times in the Revelation. Tonight, I want to read all three of the, the times that his name pops up on the screen. Let's begin with Revelation 16, verse 13. And I'll tell you, this happens during the tribulation. So when I say during the tribulation, what's happened to the church? I believe the church is gone. The Antichrist has risen to power. Then what? Here we go, verse 13. <clears throat> And I saw three evil spirits. And by the way, pay attention to this one because there's going to be the framework we're going to build on the rest of the evening. I saw three evil spirits. Three of them. And they looked like frogs leaping from the mouth of what? Three evil spirits look like frogs. Okay? Forget about the frogs and focus on the evil spirits. I just keep seeing myself frog gigging as a teenager. Forget about the frogs and focus on the three evil spirits. They're coming out of the mouths of three powers. The dragon, the beast, the antichrist, who's the, the beast, and the false prophet. Three evil spirits coming out of three supernatural beings. Three. What are they going to do? They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go to all the rulers of the world. So out of these three, out of the dragon and the antichrist and the false prophet, come demonic spirits coming out of them. And what are the demonic frog-like spirits going to do? Where do they go? They go to the leaders of the world. When? During the tribulation. Why? Well, let's keep reading. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go to all the rulers of the world to gather them to do what? To go to war against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. That tells you, there's your, there's your foundation. Everything else tonight, you need to base it on what just happened there. This is a spiritual battle beyond our comprehension. Now, that's the first application of the false prophet. Let's read the second one. Now, the second one jumps fast forward to Jesus coming and standing on the earth. Not coming to get his bride to church. Uh -uh. This is seven years later. He's coming to stand upon the earth. Now, what's the false prophet doing? What's he doing in the first scene? He's, they're in power. They're in authority. The church is gone. The world is in chaos. Go to verse 19 of chapter 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world. Now, you see the connection? 
when did the beast and the kings of the world, the, the spirits came out of the beast and entered the kings of the world and, and, and deceived them into making war against God Almighty. Well, you can't win that war. Well, you can if you're deceived. You think you can. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world. So now they've teamed up, right? The beast and the spirits that are coming out of the beast have teamed up. And I saw them with the kings of the world and their armies, and they're gathered together to fight against who? The one sitting on the horse and his army. Who is he? Jesus. He's coming. Here he comes. And the beast was captured. And with him, here comes the second mention of the false prophet. The beast, the Antichrist, is captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that did what? What do you think that spirit was that came out of the mouth of the Antichrist and the dragon and the false prophet? They deceived. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. And then, here we go, both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Who's throwing them alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur? The one on the white horse who they're trying to make war against. But you can't make war against him. He's too powerful. Here we go, last one. Revelation 20, verse 10. And then the devil. Because somebody might read that other one and say, well, what about the dragon? Wait a minute, the beast and the false prophet, they're thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. What about the dragon? Why didn't he snatch his chain? Well, I'm going to tell you, he did get snatched. And he did go into the abyss. When the, listen carefully, it's very clear that when Jesus comes, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are going to hail. They're going to hail. They're thrown alive into the lake of burning sulfur but not the dragon, not yet. What happens to him? He's put in prison for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, he'll be released for a season. Okay, let's go to Revelation chapter 20 because the season has now passed. Verse 10, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, finally, a thousand years later, joining the beast and the false prophet, they, the three of them, the unholy trinity, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Will they ever get out of that? Can they get a parole, a pardon? No, it's over. The unholy trinity spends its time together in the tribulation, and they will also spend their time together in hell. This beast that comes out of the earth is a false prophet. Do not read over that name. He is a false prophet. Think about that name and compare it to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does what? If you read the Gospels, if you read the New Testament, the Holy Spirit reveals truth. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. But the false prophet reveals a false Jesus, right? Makes sense. A false prophet's not going to reveal the true Jesus. He's going to reveal the false Jesus, who is what? The Antichrist. He will reveal untruth. How will he do it? 
by demonic power. Supernatural demonic power. John told us that the Antichrist was coming, right? I've read it several times. John told us that the Antichrist is coming, but did you remember he said that the spirit of Antichrist is already working on the earth in the last hour, which I believe is a reference to the church age. So there is a person coming, a person, a man, who's coming who will be the Antichrist. But the spirit of Antichrist has been working since the time, since the revelation of Christ, since Jesus was here. So for 2,000 years, the spirit of Antichrist has been on the earth. I want you to, don't read over that. The spirit of Antichrist is here right now. The person Antichrist is coming, but the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well. So what was it that went out into all the world during the tribulation? It looked like frogs that came out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Demonic spirits. Do you think demonic spirits aren't going to show up on planet Earth until the tribulation? They're here now. And they're not frogs. They're real. They're supernatural. What do they do in this text? In this text, they go to the leaders of all the world. And what do they do? They convince the world's leaders to fight against God. Well, isn't that a dumb idea? That's the deception. That you can be against God. You can be an anti-Christ, an anti-against Jesus. How do they do it? That's the deception. John tells us what? The spirit of Antichrist is already here and the Antichrist is coming. But John tells us that the, first, that the false prophet a real person, that the beast that comes out of the earth is coming. But like the spirit of the Antichrist, false prophets are already working on the earth today. So I want you to get this so we can move on. Yes, there's a tribulation coming in which the Antichrist, a man, will be revealed. Yes, there is a tribulation and, and the false prophet, a man, will be revealed. But the spirit of those two is already here. Already. There is a singular antichrist coming. There is a singular false prophet coming. But the spirit of evil that they work under, you don't have to wait for. It's here now. Jesus said, beware of false prophets 2,000 years ago. So if you're thinking we don't have to worry about that, church will be gone by the time the tribulation starts. You're deceived. It's here now. Jesus said, beware of false prophets. Here we go. I'll read it to you. Matthew 7, 15. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but they're really vicious wolves. What's the first thing he reveals about false prophets? They are not who they look like. And then, I find this next verse very helpful. Jesus said, so, so first thing he does, he says, there's a disguise. 
They look like sheep, but they're wolves. So don't go out here looking for sheep, because you might find a wolf. And then he says this, you can identify them by their fruit. So no, you know what you need to do? Quit looking for the sheep and look for the fruit. Look for the fruit. I, I didn't say this. Jesus says you can identify a false prophet. You can identify in Christ. Let me, let me put something. In Christ, you can identify a false prophet by their fruit. That is by the way they act. And then he says this. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes? No. Can you pick figs from thistles? No. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree, listen, listen, can't produce bad fruit. So how can you, in Christ, know a false prophet when he's a false prophet? Look at the fruit. Why? Because a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit look at the fruit verse 19 so every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire well listen i'm not the chopper okay it's not my fire i'm not in charge of the fire i'm not in charge of the chopping but you know what he told me to do Look at the fruit. Don't be deceived. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. You know, when, when I read that, first two things came to my mind. I can hear somebody look at me and say, well, that's profiling. And I would look at them and say, yep, that's profiling. Yep, you ought to get good at that, by the way. If not, that wolf's going to eat you. And while he's eating you, you're going to think all along he's a sheep. While he eats you. And the second thing that came into my mind is people say, well, that's rather judgmental, isn't it? Thinking that, well, you, you can't just judge me because of the things that I do. What? No, you can't judge me because of the light that I live. That's not right. Yeah, I can. And yes, I will. Because what you do is the fruit of your life. Not what you say. You see, the, the problem with the, the idea of sheep that are wolves is they talk a big game. But when you examine the fruit of their life, it doesn't line up with truth. They look and they sound harmless like sheep but they're wolves. Satan has always operated by deception, and false prophets are to Satan what the Holy Spirit is to God. In fact, if you don't get that sentence, you won't understand anything that I'm going to say from now on tonight. Satan has always operated by deception. Do you think Eve would have eaten that fruit if she knew she was going to be dead and buried by doing so. No. Let me remind you. 
Did God say? What did Satan say? Did God say? And Eve said, yep, God said we shouldn't eat of that and we shouldn't even touch it. And, God, and Satan says what? You will not die. He's a wolf. You will not die. Well, she died. That wolf got her. Satan has always operated by deception. There's nothing new in that realm of Satan. And the false prophets are to Satan what the Holy Spirit is to God. So when Jesus says, beware of false prophets, what does he mean? There are a group of people who will tell you, did God say? No, that's not what he meant. That's not what it meant. Oh, he didn't mean that. And there you go. The Holy Spirit reveals truth. The false prophet reveals lies. God gave the Holy Spirit in the church age to reveal the truth of the word. And God gave preachers that would proclaim this truth under the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. And let me say tonight, that's not how I would have done it. I wouldn't have done it that way. That's not how I would have done it. There's no man that would have done it that way. But this is what God chose to do it this way. What? That, that, why doesn't the Holy Spirit just come in invisible power and tell you the truth? That'd be way more effective than a Christian with the Holy Spirit inside of them coming and telling you the truth. Right? Why don't, you just, why don't you just send the Holy Spirit in some kind of glowy, bright, white form and tell you the truth? Wouldn't that be more effective? That's how I'd do it. There'd be a Holy Spirit in here tonight, and he'd be glowing. He'd be going to each one of y'all saying, nin, 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 nin. That's how I'd do it. But you know what? God said, that's not how I'm going to do it. This is how he's going to do it. 1 Corinthians 1.21 Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, what happens? The Jews are offended and the Gentiles say nonsense. So why do we preach? The Holy Spirit. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit versus preaching in the power of the unholy spirit. That's the battle in the last days. What do you think the false prophet's doing? He's not coming and being quiet. He's coming and he's preaching, but he's preaching a lie. Did God really say? Is the Bible real? Is there really a heaven? Would God really judge people for what they do? No, he wouldn't do that. He's a false prophet. Satan uses false prophets to undo and thwart what God has purposed through the church in these last days. What is his purpose for the church in the last days? Preach the gospel. Let there be no mistake. 
number one goal of this church. Number one goal of the church since Jesus left. What? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Everything else falls behind that. Preach the gospel. Go into all the world. Make disciples. How? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. And what's Satan? What's he, what's he want to do? False prophets. You don't need the gospel. You don't need that. Did God really say? Nah, you don't need that. Did God really say? No, nah, you don't need that. I say all of that so far tonight to ask these questions. If the beast from the sea, the Antichrist, is a false king, a false king that will rule by deception during the tribulation, then who is the false prophet? Let me say it again. If the beast from the sea is the Antichrist who will be a king empowered to rule planet Earth by deception, who's the false prophet? Will the false prophet be a religious leader that stands by the side of the Antichrist? Will the false prophet be a religious leader that speaks with the deceiving voice of the dragon and brings together the religions of the world in the absence of the church? By the way, those questions are to make you think. The false king will need a religious man. Let there be no doubt. The false king, the Antichrist, will need a religious man to bring the masses under his authority and his rule. Before I expand the reading on the beast, the false prophet, let me ask, do we worship the Holy Spirit right now? Think about it. Have you ever come to church and, and I came up here and said, now let's take a time to worship the Holy Spirit. You've never heard me say that, nor will you ever hear me say that. Why? Because that's not what we're called to do, is it? We don't worship. Do we acknowledge the Holy Spirit? Of course we acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Do we worship the Holy Spirit? No. No. The Holy Spirit leads us to worship Jesus Christ. And by worshiping the Son, we worship the Father who gave us His Son. We don't worship the Holy Spirit. So, so, what will the if that's the role of the Holy Trinity, what do you think the role of the unholy Trinity will be? Well, let's read and find out. 11 through 15. And then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of the dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he, who? The unholy false prophet. He required all the earth and its people to worship him. That's not what it says, is it? Uh-uh. He required all the earth and all of the people of the earth to worship the Antichrist, the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He, the false prophet, did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the Antichrist, the first beast, he did what? He did what? What was he able to pull off? He deceived all the people. Don't miss it. He deceived all the people... On earth, that's not what it says. All the people who belonged to this world. 
What if you don't belong to this world? Who do you belong to then? You're gonna, you got two choices. You belong to this world, and right now the kingdom of this world operates under the realm and the authority of Satan. But what if you reject this world, the things of this world, and you follow a different king? You belong to him. His name's Jesus. He deceived all the people who belong to this world. He ordered them, he ordered the people to make a great statue of the Antichrist, of the first beast, who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He ordered these people, I want you to make a statue of the Antichrist to honor the fact that he was dead, but now he's alive. Hint, 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 hint. He was dead, but now he's alive. He's an Antichrist from my perspective. Verse 15, he was permitted. Who permitted him? He was permitted to give life to this statue so that this statue could speak. And then the statue of the beast, the statue of the Antichrist, commanded that anyone refusing to worship him must what? Say it out loud. you got to die. This beast called the false prophet isn't requiring people to worship him, but they must worship the first beast, the Antichrist. Not an option. You can't be neutral. I'm convinced that the false prophet in the tribulation will be a religious figure, but his religion is straight from hell. But he will be a religious figure. In the absence of the church, he will bring the world together as if the world was free to worship who they want. But in reality, everyone will eventually be forced to worship the beast, the Antichrist, or you'll die. The false prophet will use religion to unite the world around the Antichrist with signs and power that will win them over. Those doubters, those who, I don't know about that beast. I don't know about him. I don't know. I don't know if we ought to worship him or not. Honey, what do you think? He'll win them over with power. Let me read it again. Verse 13 and 14. He did astounding miracles. Even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast. He deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. The false prophet will receive his power from the Antichrist who has received his power from whom? Anybody see the unholy trinity? The dragon gives his power to the Antichrist, and the Antichrist gives his power to the false prophet. And the false prophet in return says, worship my master, worship the beast. Look at the contrast of the Antichrist versus the true Christ. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father. And no one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. We know that Satan cannot give life, but we read that the false prophet seemingly gives life 
to a statue that then, of all things, begins to talk. Let me stop for a moment and say this. Satan the dragon has power. If you're in the room tonight and you have never really stopped for a moment to imagine this, I want you to stop and imagine something. He is supernatural. And we hear that word a lot, but i, I got to tell you what that word means. Natural is us. We operate under a natural order, all of us in the room. I can't fly. I can't fly. No matter how much of a running start I get and jump off this stage, I cannot fly. I can't do it. I could lose 20 pounds and I still can't fly. It wouldn't matter. I can't fly. Why? Because I'm a natural man. Natural man has natural boundaries, natural limitations. There are things you can do and there's things you can't do. Satan is not like us. He is supernatural. He operates under a different realm, a different power. He's not God. He's not God, but he's not us. So if you think Satan is competing, if you think this idea of fighting a battle against Satan is like fighting a battle against that bad neighbor down the street, you're messed up already. He's supernatural. You cannot defeat him on your own. You will not defeat him on your own. He will destroy you. He will eat you. What's the Bible say? He roams the earth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may eat, devour. You say, no, nah, he won't get me. I mean, there's only one chance he won't get you. That's why we're in the room tonight. There's one chance he won't get you. Is he who is in me is greater than him. That's the only chance you've got. He is supernatural. Jesus himself said this about the coming great tribulation, the time that the dragon, listen, Jesus announces the time in the future that the dragon will reign on the earth through the Antichrist. So you can't say, well, I didn't know. You didn't know because you didn't read the Scriptures. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 24. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time, that time of calamity, I believe that's a direct reference to the seven-year tribulation, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened. Why? For the sake of God's chosen ones. I believe that reference is not for the Gentiles. It's for the Jews that the 144,000 have gone out to reach in the tribulation. They're the chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, Notice the context. We're in the tribulation. Things are so bad that human life is diminishing on the earth. And then he says, in fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person is going to survive. And then he, here's the context. And if during that time anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. Why? Why? For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders 
as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. So, see, I have warned you about all this ahead of time. Now let's go back to that verse I told you was foundational for tonight. You had, the anti, you had the dragon and the antichrist and the false prophet and frogs are coming out of them and the frogs are demonic spirits heading out into the world to take the leaders under their control. Right? That's the foundation of these three powerful spirits. And I want you, in that context, false messiahs, false prophets are going to rise up what makes you a false prophet in the tribulation? What makes you a false messiah in the tribulation? What makes you think that you can get your army to fight against the one who rides on the white horse? What makes you think you can do that? A demonic spirit. A supernatural demonic spirit of deception. By the way, if you're thinking that's Whew, that's the tribulation. We don't have to worry about a supernatural demonic spirit in our time. No, you do too. The spirit of the Antichrist is here. The spirit of false prophets is here. Great signs and wonders. Yes, Jesus says, I'm warning you ahead of time. Let's look at how the false prophet will convince people to follow and worship the antichrist i, I want to know i want to know how he pulls it off he will call down fire from heaven would that work for you if we walked out front here and all of a sudden somebody says okay everybody just watch i'm gonna do something and, it, and some some dude out here calls down fire from heaven will you fall down and worship that dude would a good firework show, show make you worship the antichrist we're chuckling right now, right? It, but it's really not funny. Would a good fireworks show make you fall down and worship the Antichrist and allow him to give you his mark? Would that work? Revelation 13, 13. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to the earth from the sky while everyone's watching. God did bring down fire from heaven. I read the book in a story called Sodom and Gomorrah. But can man do that? Lot didn't do that, did he? In fact, he, Lot ran from the fire. Elijah is the only man listed in the Bible that brought down fire from heaven, and he did so against whom? What is the single application of God doing it through a man? He brought it down to destroy false prophets. Not to enable them. The prophet Malachi in the book, in the last book of the Old Testament, announces that God would send another Elijah before the coming of the Messiah. In fact, what followed that Malachi prophecy is 400 years of biblical silence. I can't help but wonder if the false prophet, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I can't help but wonder if the false prophet in the tribulation will try to convince the people that he is Malachi's announcement of Elijah. Why? Why do you say that? To convince, I believe that it looks like he might do that to convince them to bow down to the Antichrist. So let me read to you that from Malachi. 
Malachi, by the way, that's, that's the end of the Old Testament. 400 years, there's no word recorded in Scripture until the birth of Christ. Malachi 4, 5 says, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. I admit that I don't know how the false prophet has power to call down fire from heaven. Unless it's a magician's illusion, but I do know that those who fall for this deception and bow to the Antichrist will forever be lost. They will not recover. Either way, the false prophet will have a power, and that power will be convincing to many. And by the way, what if you don't? What if you don't bow to the Antichrist? What if the light show wasn't enough and you refuse to bow to the Antichrist? You will die. He will then require, this is where it gets really interesting tonight. The false prophet who calls down fire from heaven, who does supernatural, seemingly supernatural things, he will require an image, a statue to be built why? You need to understand that the origin of all idolatry is to bow to a false god. The origin of every idolatry on earth finds its place in bowing down to a substitute rather than the original. That is idolatry. Verse 14. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people, the false prophet, ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast. Anybody want to guess where all this is happening? You think it's what, Chicago, L.A., Greece, Egypt? Where, where's this happening? It's happening in Jerusalem. Keep that in the back of your mind. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. A statue of the first beast. A statue of a false Jesus. That's what antichrist means. He's a false, fake, counterfeit Jesus. Counterfeit son of God, savior of the world. He's not the real one. He's the replica. And he's going to have a statue not just a statue, but a statue that was fatally wounded and then came back to life. <gasps> oh, can you imagine? Has the Antichrist experienced a resurrection? Can you right now see the unholy trinity? What's the, holy, what's the false prophet doing? Worship the false Christ. He was dead and he's alive. Who do you know that can do that? Is this the false Elijah? Is the false prophet the false Elijah revealing the lordship of the false Jesus? This image or statue is mentioned four times in chapter 13 and six more times in the rest of Revelation. Why is this statue so important? Because this is the core of the fall of man. This statue is is the foundation of the fall of all mankind, idolatry. Do you think it's coincidence or accident or God just shuffled it up and threw it out that the first and the second commandment deal with idolatry? 
The Ten Commandments. <clears throat> Do you think it's coincidence that number one and number two are this? Let me read it to you. Exodus chapter 20. Then God gave these people all these instructions. God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Here comes number one. You must not have any other God but me. Coincidence? You think that might have been the most important thing to know about a relationship with God? You must not have any other God but me. Verse 4, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or of any image or of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them. You must not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate, who will not tolerate, who will not tolerate. And I can hear Satan say, oh, but he actually will. Because he's love. He's love. He's lo God loves you. So I know you've got an idol, and I know you've got a bunch of idols, and I know you bow down to them, but he loves you. And then the Holy Spirit says that he will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. I wonder if this image of the beast, okay, here comes the next big point for the night. I wonder if this image of the beast that the false prophet has commanded the people of the world to make in Jerusalem. I wonder if the image of the beast is what Jesus is referring to in his Olivet Discourse, which he gives in Jerusalem on the Wednesday before he dies on Friday. Now, I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to imagine, I want you to wonder with me, is the false prophet forcing a statue image of the Antichrist what I'm about to read to you in the Jerusalem temple in the tribulation? Here we go. Matthew 24, 15. Jesus says, The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. What did he talk about? The sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. What is that object standing? What is that sacrilegious object standing in the holy place? First off, what's the holy place? That's the temple. What's the sacrilegious object? What are you supposed to do when it happens? Daniel prophesied it 500 years before Jesus is born. Jesus quotes it. What are you going to do when it happens? Then those in Judea run. What's happening? Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of the roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. 
how terrible it will be for pregnant women, for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. So if you're wondering when this stuff happens, well, it's pretty clear. It's during the tribulation. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. It will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen one. What's the trigger in the tribulation that says, run? What is it? What's the trigger? There's a sacrilegious object in the Jerusalem temple that causes desecration and desolation. What is it? I'm going to tell you, I believe it's the image that the false prophet requires to be made of the Antichrist. Paul tells us the same, a similar story, 2 Thessalonians 2.3. I want you to keep all this in your mind as I read it. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. What day? I should have put the previous verse. Concerning the return of Christ, that's what the context is. That day, the return of Christ will not come until there's a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness, who's he? He's the Antichrist, is revealed. The one who brings what? What's he bringing? Destruction. He will exalt himself. How? He will defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. Well, I think a the temple in Jerusalem would be an object of worship, right? He will defy and defile every act of God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Is that Jesus' the sacrilegious object that causes desecration? Is that the statue? I can't say I know that for sure. But it sure fits the template. A false idol in the Jerusalem temple would defile the temple, making it unholy. Fireworks and a statue. What if that fireworks show and statue were on the temple mount in Jerusalem? What if the statue then, if that's not enough, what if the statue then began to breathe? And what if the statue started breathing and then he started talking? That's when I'd run. Verse 15. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. And then the statue of the beast. We're not, there's no confusion about what this statue is, right? Anybody confused? It's the false prophet making a statue of the Antichrist. Then the statue of the beast commanded, commanded, why not? He's, he's proclaiming to the world in the Jerusalem temple, He is God. He commanded, what? That anyone refusing to worship it, the statue, must die. The statue is alive. And the statue commands that everyone worship the Antichrist. Understand, the only way that anybody's going to go along with this is if they believe at that moment that He is God. He's God. They believe he's God. The statue speaks. How do they do that? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is the artificial intelligence that many 
computer people have been working on for years. I don't know. Would artificial intelligence, think about that word, would artificial intelligence eliminate our need for God? We could create our own God. There's a lot of people working on that right now, by the way. Maybe it's a form of demonic possession that brings breath and speech. I really don't know. I don't know how the dragon does it, but I do know this. I know what happens next. Verse 16. He required everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on their forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Amen to that one. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. How many people have tried to figure that one out? What is that number? I can tell you this. The sixth day is the day of man. God made Adam on the sixth day. It's not a coincidence. It's clearly described. Jesus died on the sixth day. On the cross, not a coincidence. The first Adam breathed life on the, first, on the sixth day. The second Adam ceased to breathe life on the sixth day. The number of man is six. Six, six, six. I believe the false prophet will be the world's religious leader. Directing the world's worship to the first beast. I'm going to say it again. I'm not going to tell you who I think that might be, what role that might be. Some of you might guess who that might be. I believe the false prophet during the tribulation will be a worldwide religious figure. And he won't ask anybody to worship him. He will tell everyone to worship him, the false Christ. But he will also be the controller of the world's economy. He will manage the distribution of wealth. If you want to eat, you'll need to submit to him. The mark of the beast on your right hand or on your forehead, the mark of 666, whatever that ends up being. The Apostle John said that if you get it, let me say one thing clear. If you don't remember anything I say tonight, I want you to understand something. If you get it, you're done. You will not recover. You will forever be lost in hell. This mark, however you might want to play around with the 666, I can tell you what it means. It is the mark of ownership. You belong to the dragon. He bought you. He owned you. You surrendered your life to the dragon. Ownership of the dragon, and if the dragon owns you, you're going to go where the dragon goes. So I want to paint a picture quickly. I believe that we are born with a sin nature, and all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So I want you to visualize that we are chained to death and sin and Satan. Because the, the punishment of sin is death, and death is separation from God. 
That's hell, right? Let's just say it. It's hell. We're chained to sin. We're chained to death. We're chained to Satan. We're chained to hell. And here comes Jesus, the second Adam. We, we got those chains from the first Adam, right? He, he did it. And here comes the second Adam. And he did what the first Adam couldn't do. And when he did it, and I believed in him, my chains fell off. I'm free. I'm not chained to sin. I'm not chained to death. I'm not chained to Adam. I'm not chained to hell. I'm free. I, but, 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 listen, listen, listen. I am still chained to Jesus. And if you want to throw off the chains of Jesus, by default, you have chained yourself to Satan. And whichever one of those two you're chained to is going to be where you're going to end up. If you want to chain yourself to Satan, you'll end up where Satan's going. He's going to hell, a lake of burning sulfur. But if you allow Jesus to connect See, some people think that connecting your life to Jesus is a burden. <laughs> you don't know who he is. He, he's coming to take you to the promised land. But, you know, I want to be independently free. There's no such thing. Because what? Because you're going to die. I close with this. You remember the other mark we talked about a few weeks ago? This mark of the 666. To explain that, let me, let, me, let me go backwards. It's a mark of ownership. We talked about it a few weeks ago, but it's a different owner. Revelation 7, 1. Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on a tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal, the seal, the seal. What seal? It's a mark. It's a mark. And I saw another angel coming up, and he carried the seal of the living God. And he shouted to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Wait! Why? What's he carrying? He's carrying a seal, a mark. Wait! Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of these servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. Wait. Not yet. Why? Why? Why did the angel say wait? Because there are some that must be marked first before the destruction comes. Wait. There are some that will be purchased by God and sealed by God, saved by God. Do you know that scene is unfolding on earth today? That scene, in a different format, is unfolding on the earth. Let me say it again. It's unfolding in this room tonight. I close tonight with this revelation from the Apostle Peter to the church and to the people in this room even now. You and I are in a wait-a-minute moment. I hear that angel. I hear that angel saying, wait and he's carrying a seal. He's going to mark some people for God. Wait, I'm not through marking people. I'm not through saving people. I'm not through rescuing people. I'm marking people with an ownership that leads to life. Wait, 
right now, we live in a wait-a-minute moment while God is bringing in those final sealed and marked saints into his kingdom. We're in that time. Peter describes it like this, 2 Peter 3.8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. I said it a few weeks ago, I'm going to say it again. Will the thousand year reign of Christ be the seventh day? Some of you understand what I'm saying, some of you don't. Will the thousand year reign of Christ. A day unto the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day is a lot of jewish messianic jewish people believe i'm not one who could argue with them that the thousand year reign of christ in this context the thousand year reign of christ is in fact on god's calendar the seventh day where are we at right now at the end of six thousand years Genealogy in the Bible says there's 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. And there's 2,000 years from Abraham to Christ. And there's 2,000 years from Christ to us. Two, four, six. I'm asking again. What if the 1,000-year reign of Christ is the seventh day? A day unto the Lord is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. Are you ready for that? I'm not done. Here we go. Next verse, verse 9. Y'all think the Lord's being slow? The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, so some people, as some people think, no, he is being patient. We're in a wait-a-minute moment right now. He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to what? Say that, say that loud. He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with the terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything is around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God. Are you? Are you? Everybody, I'm at, are you? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we, is this us? We are looking forward to that. We're looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth, he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, that's what I am, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort. Is that describing your life in Christ? Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. That, by the way, I believe that's a reference to what we know as Thessalonians. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different just as they do with other parts of scripture and this will result in their destruction the lord's patience gives people time to be saved but remember this we are in the last hour 
John said the Antichrist was coming, but the spirit of Antichrist is already here. John said the false prophet is coming, and Jesus said the false prophets are already here. Peter said that Jesus is coming right after a wait-a-minute moment when people will have a chance to repent. Do you believe any of this, some of this, all of this? I'm asking. Do you? Is there a spirit of Antichrist? And are there false prophets right now trying to deceive and destroy your soul? Peter closes this letter that I just read to you with these final words to the church, and I'll close tonight with them as well. Verse 17, I am warning you ahead of time. Dear friends, be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to Him, both now and forever. Amen. Father, tonight we give you all the praise and glory and honor. We thank you for the grace that has given us a wait-a-minute moment. We thank you for the mercy and the Holy Spirit that has revealed to us truth. We ask you, Lord, to empower us to be followers of Christ, unable to be deceived, distracted, or dissuaded while we wait for our King. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.